Here, just lift your hand. I won't go back. I can't go back to the way it used to be before your presence came and changed me. Come on, let's sing that again. Just one big choir. I won't go back. I can't go back to the way it used to be before your presence came and changed me. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are still in the transformation business. And God, well, I'm not quite where I want to be. When I look back over my life, when I think things over, God, I am thankful that I'm nowhere what I used to be. God, I thank you that your presence, it brings transformation. God, I thank you that your presence brings restoration. God, we thank you that your presence brings healing. God, we thank you that your presence brings the, the remission of sins. God, we thank you that your presence wipes away all tears. God, that your presence wipes away all of our shame, that your presence wipes away all of our guilt. God, thank you for transforming us, for taking us and creating something new in us, for placing in us a right spirit, God. So while even while we're not where we want to be in life, God, we thank you for the little things. We thank you for the small steps. God, we thank you for struggling in the stuff that we never used to struggle with. God, we thank you for convicting us. God, we thank you for challenging us. God, we thank you that your presence, God, it brings freedom. And so, God, before we continue in this worship experience, by hearing from you, God, we just want to pause and just say thank you. God, we thank you that while there are many things that we could complain about, there are many things that we don't have, God, we thank you that the only thing that we really need to have is you, and you have given us yourself and your son, Jesus. And for that, we say thank you. God, we thank you that you thought so much of us, your creation, that you would rather give up your only son, than to give up on us. And so, God, we say thank you. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for continuing to change us. God, thank you for transforming us. God, we thank you for the work you're doing here in this community, in this church. God, never let us take it for granted that you are active, that you are alive, that you are moving, that you are changing, and that the best is yet to come in Jesus' name. And so, God, we pray now that you would just Take this moment and help us to hear from you. God, we love you so much. and We need to hear a word from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. 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 Before you be seated, just give somebody a high five and tell them welcome to Tri-Cities. Don't move too much now. I still got to preach. Stay on your row. Stay on your row. High fives only. I said a couple, that was five. Some of y'all, a couple is two. Y'all don't follow instructions. <laughs> well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. If this is your first time with us, first, second, third time with us, we want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us. We understand there are plenty of awesome places to worship in the Tri-Cities area. I say this almost every week. I'm partial. I think one of the, we're one of the best, and so we're thankful that you chose to join us. So if you are with us for the first, second, third time, you've been with us, you've never filled out a connection card in front of you, 
in your seat. It's something called a connection card. You can fill that out. Let us know a little bit of information about you. I promise we're not going to show up at your house or anything like that. But just let us know a little bit of information about you. Also, how we can pray for you, even if it's not your first time. And then if it is your first time, you take that connection card right back to the back where it says next steps. And you'll receive a free gift from us just for us to show our appreciation for you joining us today. So make sure that you get your free gift. If this is your first uh, week with us, my name is Lamar. I'm the lead pastor here at Tri-Cities Church, among so many other wonderful pastors and elders that help lead this church and volunteers. And we are thankful that you chose to join us. We are uh, not in a series, uh, so this is a perfect day. This is your first uh, time joining us. We are starting next week, shameless plug, next week we're starting a new series called Family Circus. Anybody in here family feel like a circus? Okay, some of y'all don't raise your hand because you're scared because the person you're thinking about is next to you. It's cool. Just look straight ahead. They ain't going to know that you're thinking about them. So next week, we start a series called Family Circus, and we're going to deal with uh, all sorts of interesting things about family. We're going to deal with what do you do when you find out something about a family member that you didn't want to know. We're going to deal with what are some of the reasons why we have conflict in family. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of family. This is a great opportunity for you to invite someone you know because all of you got some coworkers or family members who you got some stuff with. And so this is a great opportunity for you to start. And then also over the five weeks of the series, we're going to be doing some fun things after service every week. We got fun surprises for you. So make sure that you show up uh, and bring somebody with you. So kind of segueing into that, we're going to talk a little bit this morning, uh, not just about your nuclear family, but the family of God, the family uh, this community of Christianity. And I want to just take a little bit of time to talk about, this is sort of the uh, subject, if I can give this a title, the cost of community. Because while we want to start talking about your family next week, I want to just take a few minutes this morning to talk about uh, God's family, and particularly us as a family, as a church family, because you do know that we are a family too, right? And so there's, there's sort of a cost to that that I want us to consider. And, and one of the things that I've learned over the years is uh, we're now, this is Labor Day weekend, and so some of you uh, have a long weekend. Some of you are off on Monday. Uh, I'm glad to see you here because only the real Christians come to church on Labor Day weekend. <laughs> Y'all don't tell nobody who's not here I said that. Edit that out. Before we put the podcast, don't put that up there. But, but this is sort of, you know, a marker for most of us, right? Labor Day, usually I've been doing church for a long time. For most pastors, Labor Day is usually the time where there's a marker, okay, after this week, everybody's kind of settled. There's really no more major weekends or vacations, and so we're kind of settling in. It kind of signifies fall for the rest of the country. It's still summer here in Georgia. You know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all got happy when it was cool, and then it went back up to 90. Got you again. You know better than that. We got two falls. Okay, so, so when we're recovering in this time of year, one of the things I thought about uh, over the years is this is a sort of recovery time for most of us uh, because summertime, most of us go on vacation. So it's not just recovery. You know, some of us are tired because we've done vacation. And sometimes, you know, vacation can be more tired than the actual vacation itself. It can cause a lot of, you know, planning and driving and flying. And so we're sort of recovering uh, but we're also recovering some of us from the expenses of it. Come on now, can we just be honest? Your electricity bill has been high all summer. 
You know what I'm talking about because it's been hot and you're just waiting for it to cool off so I can recover from those expenses, from vacation, from having my air. Because I'm just, you know, I'm not one of those people who sit on 78. Anybody in here that does a 78 thing, you know, the recommended. You do? No, I can't do that. One thing I told myself when I was young is when I get grown and I get a job, there's one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to run this AC as much as I want to because I grew up in one of those houses where you couldn't do that. So you know what I'm talking about. We're trying to recover from some of those expenses. It leaves us all spent, not just financially, but emotionally sometimes, spiritually sometimes, physically. And then we're, we're learning now to kind of readjust our budget. Those of us who are parents or teachers, like we have, we have to now budget our schedules differently, don't we? Like all our kids are in activities. For most of us, I think all of us now, our kids are back in school. And so we've got to sort of reallocate time for different things because things have changed and a new school year brings about a new change in budget. So now I'm dealing with recovering from summer. Now I've got to budget in some new things. If you're a parent like us, like my wife and I, we got to budget in for all of our children's new activities because you know everything costs something now. Remember when we used to go to school and we played like dodgeball and kickball and all them free sports? Yes. Now we got travel this and travel that and we got you know 400 for this. We usually just go outside and play freeze tag. What happened to that? How come we can't have a freeze tag league? You know what I'm saying? Like, Let's get a kickball league. I'm going to say, let's start our own sports league where everything is free. Because it's it's a lot. I mean, come on now. It's changing the schedule. What what I've learned is we've become, especially this time of year, we've become really cost conscious, haven't we? How much is it going to cost me? How much did that cost me? How much time is this going to cost me? I've got to change things. And everything is about trying to reallocate and figure out our budget. And then here's the thing that I've learned. We fail oftentimes to budget our busyness, and we fail to make time for living and not just existing. Out of all the stuff that costs us something, there's something I'm going to talk about this morning that is going to cost you something, but I want to encourage you to pay the cost. Because here's what I've discovered, uh, and so most of you, you've been here for a while now, I'm going to do something I call bowling down your lane, let me shine on my bowling ball, I'm going to bowl down your lane, I'm going to drive up your driveway, sit on your front porch and drink all your Kool-Aid. Can I just be honest with you? Well, here's what I've discovered. We budget for what we believe in, don't we? Like I, I used to tell people, show me your checkbook and I can show you what you believe in. Show me what you make time for, what you make money for, and I can show you that you really believe in that. That that's something that you budget in your schedule, in your finances, in your time, because you believe in that. I, I'm going to spend money on that, just like I said on the AC, because I believe in being comfortable. I grew up in El Paso, Texas, where it's 114 degrees. I promised myself when I get older, I don't care if it's my whole paycheck. I'm going. I believe in being cool. So, so we, we, we budget what we believe in. The, the greatest indicator of our belief system, can I just dare to say this with you, it's, it's not how much you pray. It's not even how much you read the Bible. Those are all good things. And I can tell you what the biggest indicator of your belief system, your budget. What do I make time for? What do I make a priority? That says a lot about what you believe in and who you believe in and why you do it. And so you, you kind of learn this concept in the book of Acts when it comes to this thing called community, about doing life together, about being a family, about leaning in, about leaning all the way into this thing called Christianity where I don't sort of do it halfway because they sort of budgeted it into their lives. They believed in it. Listen to what Luke says 
in chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. I'm going to set up my case so that you can understand why this is important. Luke chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that whatever they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Now, between Acts chapter 2, most of you have read this before, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, and what I just read to you, Luke does this thing where he sort of gives us an insight into how the church works. Some of us don't realize this, but Luke wrote the book of the gospel of Luke and Acts, and they're meant to go together. And when Luke writes Acts, it's after he got a large, he got a large enough sample size of the church. He went back and said, okay, I'm going to write about the church after traveling with Paul and Barnabas and, and Silas and all these people that you read about. He traveled with them, and he didn't write it as it was happening. He wrote it as a reflection after spending a number of years traveling around and seeing what's the secret sauce to this thing called church. Why is it that the church kept going when they were killing Christians? Why is it that you even know who Jesus is in 2019 in East Point, Georgia, when this stuff happened originally thousands of years ago and thousands of miles away in a place where most of us will never visit in our lifetime. How do you even know who Jesus is? Luke says, I know I got the secret sauce. He goes back and he writes the second volume of his book called Acts. And between Acts 2, 42 through 47 and what I just read, he names uh, some different adjectives and different verbs. He, he actually says that there was some sharing and some cost. As a matter of fact, between those two sections of scripture, he mentions sharing and cost Six times. All throughout there, he talks about there was this thing that they thought was valuable and they shared. You see that? And they sold their stuff and they, they paid the cost and they, they, they were all in. In other words, Luke says, let me tell you why this thing worked. Because they budgeted what they believed in. That they believed that this whole Jesus thing was worth the cost. So they sold stuff. The first time I read it, I don't know about you, didn't that sound like an episode of Sesame Street? And everybody loved each other. And everybody who had something in need, I sold my stuff and I made sure that every, didn't that sound like, come on now, I'm not doing that. Y'all looking at me crazy, but you know you're not doing it either. You're not selling your stuff. And maybe, maybe it's a glimpse into why it was so powerful in the first century because they realized that if we're going to do this Christianity thing, there's a cost. Now, the cost to get in, Jesus paid it. But the cost of being a follower, you got to pay it. And he says five times he mentions sharing. Six times he mentions something that has to do with cost, because what they learned is that living in authentic Christian community, he, he emphasizes that there was a devotion to being family. There was a devotion. They were willing to pay the cost. Unlike us, can I just bowl down our lane again? In this century where we don't want to pay the cost, we just want to attend and we want to engage when it's convenient. But Luke says the only reason why you even know who Jesus is it's because there were people who were willing to pay the cost. 
that Jesus paid the cost for your salvation. But, but once you accept him, there's some cost that we're going to have to willing, be willing to pay. We've got to be devoted to this. If you read chapter 5, there's a great example of what happens when people are not willing to pay the cost. So, so I'm going to read this uh, because this is probably a sermon, uh, a text that you don't hear a lot of sermons about. Because I'll be honest with you, uh, it's a little bit uh, scary. So I'm going to read this. Some of y'all know what I'm going to. Chapter 5, there's this dude and his wife named Ananias and Sapphira. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Check this out. I just, just hang in there. I'm going to help you to understand this. Because when I first read this, when I was a young Christian, it kind of put me off a little bit. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. But there was a certain man named Ananias. So he's picking up on all the believers sharing their possession and paying the cost to live in community. Verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Like, I don't know about you. Like, my brain goes certain places when I read. So, like, when I'm reading this, like, everything when I read the Bible is like a movie. That's the scene right there where the music starts playing. You don't talk about boom, boom, boom. Right? Because you know it's not going to go well from there. Verse 3, then Peter said to Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property, check this out, was yours to sell or not to sell? As you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. What Peter's saying is, because I want you to catch this, it's not about the money. We didn't ask you for your money. Did you catch that? Because I don't want you to get tripped out when I read the rest of it. He says, how could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Okay, I got to pause. Because the rest of the story is pretty much the same thing. His wife lies, she dies too. So, so remember when I said that Luke wrote this as a second volume, uh, so Acts is the second volume of his gospel. If you go in the beginning, Luke says, I- I'm writing this to uh, this guy named Theophilus. Now some scholars believe that Theophilus was a real person. Some people think it was kind of a synonym for the people of God. Theophilus literally means lover of God. So either he was writing it to a real person or he's saying this, this is for all the people who love God. And Luke's really trying to get the account straight. I don't know if you know this. Luke is a physician. That's why his gospel is very detailed. He's the only one who tells stories about Jesus when he was a child because Luke is interested in getting the details. Luke wasn't even one of Jesus' disciples. He just wanted to get the story straight. Some scholars believe that he wrote Acts sort of as a defense for Paul who was always going to trial because he continued to speak the name of Jesus. And so Luke goes on and says, look, let me write this so that you can understand where Paul's coming from, that this Jesus guy is real, that he really raised from the dead. And so Luke is paying a lot of attention to detail. His aim is to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. Okay, so now I said all that. That doesn't seem like the best recruitment material, does it? <laughs> like you're trying to get people to follow God and you have a choice of what you're going to include in your uh, assessment of the church and you choose a story where people drop dead because they lied about giving money. I don't know, Luke. Now, I'm not suggesting that you let me rewrite the Bible. If I was trying to convince you to join our church, I wouldn't include that in our recruitment manual. <laughs> Listen to what he goes on to say. And then verse 6, Then the young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out 
and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor and died. Boom. And when the young man came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Come on, Luke. I mean, you, you, you're trying to get me to believe in Jesus. You probably shouldn't include that in your recruitment manual. And perhaps maybe there's a lesson here that we can learn because one, I know it's a little bit disturbing, but, but Peter does say up front, it was never about the money. As a matter of fact, he says it was, it was your property to sell or to keep. We didn't ask you for your money. And then when you made money on it, you still could have kept the money for yourself. It wasn't, this wasn't a building campaign. This wasn't a fundraiser for the youth ministry. He, they decided to do that on their own and then lied about it. So can I just say up front? It wasn't about the money, because some of y'all are going to go back and say, if I don't give, God's going to kill me. <laughs> Peter says it, wasn't, it was never about the money. Okay, so let's, let's get that straight. He says it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that. It was, it was a lack of, of honesty. But here's, here's really what it's about, is that everybody else, as Luke's recording this, seems to be all in. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, Verse 42, it says, and all the believers were, I love this word, devoted. They, they were willing to pay the cost. They said they met together in homes, and they met at the temple, and they broke bread together, and they prayed together, and there was the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to becoming a family. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe, he says that Jesus died on the cross to break down the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles just means everybody who's not Jewish. So all these ethnicities, all of these races, all these people, he says, you know what Jesus did? He died to break down the wall so we could be together. And the early church, Luke says, you want to know why it survived when they were throwing Christians to lions and boiling people in hot oil and crucifying Christians upside down? You want to know why you know who Jesus is? Because they were devoted. And they were willing to pay the cost. And so this was never about money. If anything, this teaches you that there's a cost of being a part of this thing that God wants is there's some stuff that you're going to have to budget in your Christian life that's going to be worth it, but it's going to cost you something. And, and Peter says, you know what, it was, it was never about the money. It, it was never about whether or not we needed your money. This wasn't a, it wasn't a program. This was about you being committed to family. Can I just say this? Living in community is a Christian priority not a church program. So when we talk about gathering together in groups, not just on Sunday, but being in a small group and doing life with one another, because let's be honest, this is good, but if you think that this is all you need to further your Christian development, this is not enough. Luke says, you want to know the secret sauce? They met together on Sundays in church. They met together in homes. They did life together. They shared meals. They shared their life. There was a cost, but they budgeted it into their lives because they believed in it. And we wonder why the church, the modern-day church, seems to be falling apart. Can I just tell you, 
most churches are preaching good stuff. Most churches have dynamic worship. Don't we have great worship here? He says most churches are doing all the stuff that you like, but here's the thing. It doesn't work if you're not willing to pay the cost. He says they met on Sundays, they met in homes, they did life together. Five times he mentions they shared. Six times he mentions cost. Peter says, and the cost has nothing to do with money. As a matter of fact, Ananias and Sapphira, you could have kept, we're not raising money for a building program. We're not raising money. We're not doing fish dinners. We're not, we're not, come on now, you know what I'm talking about. We're not raising money for the next hottest thing that we want. What we wanted from you is for you to be all in. He says, and you've been telling us you want to do this. He says, but you haven't been lying to us. You've been lying to God. You've been acting like you really want this. You've been acting like you're willing to pay the cost for doing life with other Christians, for being in community. You've been acting like you care about the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that he can break down this wall of hostility so that you and I can be together. Did you realize until that happened, there was no reason for us to sit in the same building? He says, but you know what? Jesus died for that. He says, you're not lying to us. You've been lying to God. It wasn't about the money. It's about the fact that, that you, you haven't really been all in. I'm going to say this again. Living in community is a Christian priority and not a church program. I know a lot of churches talk about small groups, and I'll talk about that in a minute, and, and we should. And it's really important for you to do life and not just come in and run away. But there's got to be some folks in here that know you, that, that can pray for you, that can help you out in a time of need, that know your stuff, that know your birthdays and your anniversaries. There's people here that can love on you. Can I just say this? When you're sick, the first people who show up to the hospital should be your group. I used to joke and say, if I show up, you know it's bad. <laughs> I'm just joking. I will show up. But you show enough sick when the pastor show up. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> so many. <laughs> I wish I could show you your face. Can, can I just say this? That's why doing life together is important. Somebody here needs to know how to be praying for you. That's in touch with what's going on in your life. That knows the burdens that you're carrying. That can cry tears with you, that can weep when you weep, mourn when you mourn, who can rejoice when you rejoice. And Peter says, you, Ananias and Sapphira, have been saying you wanted that, but the reality is we didn't ask you for your money. You could have kept it for yourself. You're not lying to us. You've been lying to God. Okay, so now I'm really going to bowl down your lane because some of us have resisted living in life, doing life together with other Christians, and we've been saying that the reason why we haven't done it is because of you fill in the blank. But Peter says, that's not the real reason why you haven't been doing it, is it? So can I just challenge you this morning? The real reason is on the screen. I don't prioritize community in my life is you fill in the blank. Because Peter told Ananias and Sapphira, it's not what you've been saying it is. It's not about the money. It's never been about the money. Some of you, that's not the issue, but you've been telling yourself, this is why I don't do groups. This is why I don't. I don't do church because church is messy. You know people like that. I don't do, come on now. Everybody has a reason why they don't do something that God wants them to do. Am I right? 
But can I just challenge you? What if the reason you've been given is not the real reason? What if the reason why I'm not doing all of what it takes to be all in is not the real reason why I don't do it? Peter says, don't lie to us. You're not even lying to us. You're lying to God. So can I just tell you, it's not for me to answer that for you. That's between you and God. My job is to challenge you to say, what's the real reason why you won't do it? Because it's not what you've been saying. As a matter of fact, the reason that you've been given, nobody even asked for that. You catch that? The reason why I won't do something is because people keep, people want, people keep asking me, people keep. And Peter says, we didn't ask you for that anyway. So, so let's be honest now. What's the real reason why you're not all in? Because what you have been saying that you think I want from you, I didn't even ask you for it. What, what if what you've been saying to yourself is what you think God has been asking for, and God says, I never even asked you for that. So let's not play games. What's, what's the real reason? The, the real reason I don't prioritize community in my life is you got to answer that for yourself. Can, can I just show you some of the benefits of, of groups? Now I'm going to transition of living life in community. Because there's a story that we all know, but I think we skip over this. It's the miracle of the five loaves and two fish. You remember that? Can, can I read something to you? Because I don't know if you ever noticed this. This is in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 38 through 34. Or 38 through 44, rather. Mark chapter 6. Listen to what happens here. I'm going to just jump down because most of us know it. I'm going to jump down in the middle of it. You remember Jesus is teaching all these people, and all of a sudden, uh, it's time for them to eat. And the disciples say to Jesus, it will take us about 20 years worth of wages to feed all these people. Jesus says, no, you feed them. And then they say, well, we don't have enough money. And then we jump down into this part of the story. Verse 38, how much bread do you have? He asked, go and find out. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. The other gospel writers say that they stole that from a little, I mean, they borrowed it. (laughs) I mean, seriously, what kid do you know? Like, my kids won't share nothing with me. What kid do you know is going to give up his sack lunch? That's just, okay, that's just me. They got the bread from the little kid. I don't know how they got it. And they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus told the disciples to have the people, watch this, sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, located, looked up to he- toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they can distribute it, watch this, to the people. And he also divided the fish for everyone to share, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets left over of bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. So they estimate because in those days uh, it was a patriarchal society, they didn't really count the women and children. Somewhere around 12 to 15,000, perhaps, if you count the women and children. But, but did you notice The conduit for the miracle, I'm going to read it again, verse 39. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Can I just say this? Sometimes 
the best way you're going to get fed is not here. Now, I'll commit to you. I'm going to give you my best every week. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. I'm going to make sure I do my part. But can I just tell you, when it came time for the people's needs to be met, Jesus broke them down from a crowd into little congregations. And did you notice that he blessed the bread and the fish and he broke it and he distributed it? But in order for the people to get what they needed, it had to pass through the hands of their neighbor. Can I just tell you something? One of the greatest miracles that you will ever experience in your life is when you commit to being in a group and doing life with other Christians because sometimes the blessing that God is trying to get to you has to pass through the hands of your neighbor first. And I got to tell you, there's no other way that you can really do and sustain life than to be all in with other people because you notice that everybody that was there needed something from Jesus. Everybody was hungry. Isn't it something to have somebody who understands what you're going through to wait on you while you're waiting on God to bless you? At least I know while I'm waiting on God to deliver on his promise, Jamie knows what it feels like. Adam knows what it feels like. We can get together and pray. I'm not going to have anybody in my circle who's not as hungry for God as I am. And everybody who was there was as equally as hungry and waiting on God to bless them. Sometimes you just need somebody in your circle that's waiting on God to bless you. And Jesus said, set them in groups, because the way I'm going to perform this miracle is I'm going to make you start connecting with other people, and the very blessing you need from me is going to pass through their hands. Don't disconnect yourself from group life. Don't, disconnect, don't think that just doing this on Sunday is enough. Sometimes when people in my previous life will come to me and say, hey, Pastor, we're moving on. We just feel like we're not getting fed. You know, the first question I would ask them is, are you in a group? Well, no, we're not. Okay, that's why you're not getting fed. Because the person who has the bread and the fish are in the groups. So you can break bread together and discuss the word and pray for one another and be connected. Because let's be honest, on Sunday, this is a monologue. Right? I'm, now, I love you talking back to your boy, but let's be honest. I'm the only one talking. How are you supposed to wrestle with this word and, and get it in your heart and, and digest it and, and figure out how it applies to your life if you don't have other people that you're grouped up with to help you to figure this thing out? So if you think that just coming and listening to me or Jamie or Paul or anybody is enough, it's not enough. So what's the real reason why you haven't done it? Because it's not what you've been saying. And I'm not going to get in your business like that. Far be it from me. Okay, I'm going to get into your business. Some of us, can I just be honest, we have some fears about this. And they're, they're, they're credible fears about giving myself over to a group of people. Now, can I just say this? We're not asking you to get around a circle and tell all your business. That's not what groups are for. In the group, you will develop intimate friendships with people who you will eventually be able to tell your business to. That's what groups are for. So can I just give you real quick before we wrap up, 10 commandments of community. Now, 
I, I preached this message years ago, and I got this resource. I don't even remember where it came from. I might have came up with it and don't remember it. I'm just saying that, so if you see it somewhere else, I'm not plagiarizing. I just don't remember where I got it from. It, it might have been me. Ten Commandments of Community. Can I just tell you? Because there's some things that you need to know about doing life together. Number one, we're going to go through these quickly. Number one, be active, not passive. Don't always wait to be engaged. Engage. Now, for all you super-duper introverts like me, I get it. Trust me, if anybody in here knows what that's like, I get it. It's a cost. I know it's going to cost you something. But do it anyway. Number two, be accountable. Can I just tell you this? If it's going to work for you, you've got to submit to the principle of community. You know what the principle of community is? Commitment. You're only going to get out of it what you're willing to put into it. Number three, be flexible. Flexibility, listen to me, is a sign of strength, not weakness. Because whatever won't bend will break. So sometimes your group ain't going to start on time. Sometimes people are going to be late. Sometimes everybody's going to say, I can't meet. Sometimes hang in there and do it anyway. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, I don't do groups anymore because nobody ever shows up. That's your reason, but that's not the real reason, is it? Okay, I said I wasn't going to get in your business. Number four, be honest about your past relationships. When I say this, I'm not saying in the group. What I'm saying is be honest about your past relationships because those relationships have influence on how you try to relate to new people. If you're not honest with yourself, you will find yourself being triggered by something that somebody says or does that has nothing to do with them and everything to do with you not being honest about what you've been through. And come on now, some of us don't do groups because... Somebody hurt us, somebody burned us, somebody told us something they should have told, and you haven't gotten over that yet. And so I resist being connected to other Christians because of a past relationship. That's not for the group, but you've got to go find somewhere to deal with that. Number five, look for people that are going where you want to go. Did you know that you are the average of the five people you hang out with? The five people that you spend the most time with, you are the average of those people. Look for people who are going where you want to go. Number six, look for the good in relationships. I have a good friend whose son coined this phrase. We look for the least, L-O-I, least objectionable interpretation. What does that mean? That even when you say something crazy, because I'm trying to do this community thing, I'm going to choose to interpret it the most least, the least objectionable way until you and I can have a conversation about it. Because we live in a world of offense, right? Every, somebody, can I just tell you, if you've been in church for more than five minutes, somebody in here is going to say something you don't like. We're going to offend each other. Can I just be honest with you? I might say something that you don't like. But here's a choice you can make. Choose the least objectionable interpretation. Until you and I can have a conversation. That's why Jesus says you have a problem with your brother or sister, go to them. Work it out. Number seven, put your confidence in God. Don't put too much confidence in people. That's why people run away from the church. I don't go to church because everybody in there is a hypocrite. Well, so are you. (laughs) But as much as I love y'all, I don't just do this for y'all. My confidence is in God. 
Because if I put too much confidence in people, every time somebody disappoints me, I will run away from the church. Put your confidence in God. Number eight, don't make a big deal out of everything. Try not to overanalyze everything. Don't we do that? Because we live in the age of smartphones, and some of us, our phones are smarter than we are. Look, don't, don't make a big deal out of everything. Sometimes it is just what it is. Number nine, look for the good in people. Can I just say this? Everyone is not against you. I know we live in the age of haterism. Everybody's a hater. H- have you ever considered that maybe somebody told you something that's the truth? They're not being a hater. They're just being honest. All right, number 10. Here's the last one. Be a good listener. Oh, I could preach a whole series on this. Because we are the worst, especially, can I just be honest? Because, you know, most of us in here are Christians. If you're not, I'm glad you're here. But, but most of us, can I be honest? We're not good listeners. We listen to reply. We would, we would much rather make a point than to make things right. But if you're going to do life together, if we're going to do community, if we're going to get over whatever reason we've been telling ourselves why we don't engage, we have got to learn to be good listeners. Listen to love and listen to learn. Everybody has not had your experience. And guess what? It's okay. Learn how to listen. Did you realize that even in the Psalms, multiple times, God, uh, David paints a picture of God as a God who turns his ear and listens. You heard me say this before. Sometimes when God is silent, God is silent, not because he's abandoning you. God is silent because he's listening to you. We haven't mastered that yet, have we? Learn to be good listeners. Here's the last thing, because this is going to cost you something. Can I just be honest with you? There's a a list on the back of the sermon talk sheet of all the small groups. Check it out and then get one of those cards if you're not in a group and make a decision. We've got some great support groups that are starting. There's a grief support group that's starting soon. And can I just say this? It could be a, a, a loss that you've had 15, 20 years ago. And some of us still haven't really worked that out. Let me encourage you. It costs $15 for the book, but money goes right back in the pot, and we use it to bless other people. It is an incredible opportunity. I've gone through it three times and led it as well. And some of you, that's, that's what you need. There are other groups on here. Make sure that you check it out. There's, there's going to be a cost. It's going to cost you a little bit of time. It's going to cost you some time, some of your personal space. It's going to cost you putting yourself out there. It's going to cost you engaging. But can I give you my last statement? Then we'll pray. Community will cost you something, but not having it will cost you everything. And the story of Ananias and Sapphira was not about the money. It's about the fact that when I'm not all in, it will cost me my life. That's why when God created Adam, he looked at him, everything that was good, you know, he says it's not good for him to be alone. And that's not that's not a marriage thing. That's just that's a human relation thing. Out of everything he created, he says, that's not cool. Because being alive, watch this, 
means never having to be alone. Community is going to cost you something. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to cost you. But if you don't have it, eventually it's going to catch up with you and it's going to cost you everything. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you even demonstrate community as you are a divine community of Father, Son, and Spirit. That you relate to us in the way that you want us to relate to you and to others. And so, God, help us to be challenged by this word today that even as we move into a season where we talk about family, to take more seriously being a part of your heavenly family. That we need to engage one another. We need to be in community. That we need to be in groups. That you, you allowed us to see in your word how your son Jesus set people in groups so that the miracles that he was performing could touch everybody and that they could find somebody to wait on them with them and pray with them and to to have somebody who can be a part of the process of facilitating the miracles that you want to bring into their life god help us to wrestle with the real reason why we haven't been doing it because it's not what we've been saying it's been and once we move past that help us all god to understand that in order to do this thing right we can't just come on sunday we've got to anchor ourselves and root ourselves in becoming family God, we thank you and we love you that you first made the way by giving us your son, Jesus. Now help us to pick up our end of the cost by budgeting in what we say we believe, and that is that we are family. God, we thank you and we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.